Over 3,400 Massachusetts restaurants never reopened after the spring's COVID-19-related shutdowns, and now hundreds more have chosen to close temporarily. Across the state, the restaurant industry is coming to terms over how the ongoing pandemic is impacting its future and how to grapple with state regulations in the middle of a case surge. I'm Sarah Bencourt with Commonwealth Magazine, and we'll dig into this issue today. We have Greg Reedman, who heads the Newton Needham Regional Chamber, and Doug Bacon, a restaurant owner and the president of Red Paint Hospitality Group. Doug, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the restaurants that you're running right now and where they're located? Sure. So I own a group of restaurants and pubs. They're all located in Boston. I have eight locations um, from Oak Square in Brighton all the way to the Back Bay and the Fenway neighborhood. Uh, The last drop, the Whitehorse Tavern, the Avenue Bar and Grill, the Hopewell Bar and Kitchen, Harry's Bar and Grill, the, and in the Fenway neighborhood, the Westland, in Kenmore Square, the Kenmore, and in the Back Bay, the Corner Tavern. Out of those eight locations, four are presently open, four are closed. Of the four that were closed, I tried to reopen two of them and then had to reclose again. Two of my locations have never reopened since March 16th which is when everything was shut down in Boston. And Greg, can you talk a little bit about what you do at the Newton Needham Chamber of Commerce? Sure. So the the Newton Needham Regional Chamber has about 900 members. We try to advocate for uh, the inner western suburbs of Boston. Um, Our members are primarily in Newton Needham, Watertown, Wellesley, and some other surrounding communities. Um, Restaurants and the hospitality business has been a key part of what we do and what we talk about. Um, Obviously, it's a huge driver of the economy and a really tricky time for uh, all of our restaurants now. So it's been nine months since the pandemic started. Um, And with restaurants and small businesses, it seems like the impact was felt pretty immediately. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like at the beginning for you, Doug? Sure. Um, In the beginning, it was total catastrophe, unlike anything that anyone had ever seen before. Um, Before the pandemic started, I had 196 employees. Now I have about 45. Some of these people have worked for me for 15 years. And it was in the beginning, we thought it was to flatten the curve. And we were going to be closed for two weeks. And we were trying to figure out which food products we could save and would still be good in two weeks. That's what it looked like on March 15th and 16th. Little did we know some of the locations would still not be open and would, and it don't expect to be open a year later. So it, it's really been devastating and it's been a crisis management situation on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, and it, Greg, I'm not really sure how many, of your members are restaurants, but what have you heard from them? Well, so we actually have a pretty strong restaurant group that a committee that meets every week and and I've spent a lot of time listening and meeting with them and hearing their concerns. It's, you know, the experience is very similar to what Doug is going through. Uh, It is just heartbreaking. We have these men and women who have invested their lives and their careers uh, in building these businesses and, and the restaurant business has never been easy. Uh, the margins have never been good. And suddenly they've been asked to 
you know, pivot so many times in the past nine months, you know, first close completely. And as Doug said, try to figure out what to do with the inventory, then uh, be allowed to do some takeout and then being able to transition into um, various parameters of outdoor dining and indoor dining. Uh, the rules keep changing. The, the, some of the, the requirements are a little um, confusing, certainly confusing and maybe not necessarily justified in my mind. Uh, and uh, it's just been a really tough time for everybody. And so with that pivoting, I'm guessing, Doug, you probably see this pretty significantly since you own, I think it is eight restaurants. Um, There's so many different rules and regulations in each town, each region. It's sort of a hodgepodge. Like in some areas, you can have bar seating. In other areas, you're in phase two. How do you deal with this as a restaurant owner? How do you keep track? So that hasn't been too much of a factor because all of my locations are in one jurisdiction, Boston. So for me, it's been an adjustment, but I'm not dealing with different sets of rules for different businesses for me. And so what have the Boston rules been like for you? And I mean, how do you implement them? Like, has it been difficult with customers telling them to, okay, you got to wear your mask now if you're not eating or drinking as of last Sunday? How does that work? So it, it hasn't been easy, but for me, for my experience and the managers I've talked to, for the most part, customers are very happy that we're open and they're grateful that they have an opportunity to go somewhere. We have had a few cases of people who were extremely difficult or you know, were fighting, arguing about putting on a mask. We have had a few of those cases, but those were definitely in the tiny minority. Most of my customers have adapted as we've adapted with table spaced apart, no use of the bar, um, no bar seating. And as you know, now with the most recent rules, a 90 minute limit for everyone. And we need to ask customers to put their masks back on if they're not eating or drinking. Greg, I know you cover Needham and new and are there different variations in that area at all? Sure. So, and we have a lot of members in Wellesley and Watertown as well. And and so of the of those four, only Newton is under that current restrictions that were announced by the group of metro mayors uh, this past week or so. It just went into effect. Uh, so they are they are indeed going by different rules. But you know, I have to say that it's not just that now you can sit at the bars before you couldn't or ninety minutes or whatever. The problem is that every time these announcements are made every time we hear about a new restriction. It, it just adds another layer of panic uh, and concern to the consumer. And really just, it makes the hard work that the men and women running these restaurants and, the, and their help are doing to, to make people feel comfortable. It just makes everyone more nervous. Uh, even though the reality is the science has shown us and the data has shown us that restaurants have not been a primary source of spread. Uh, really, you know, I mean, over and over again, we hear from the governor that it's the private parties, it's the Thanksgiving gatherings, it's the family gatherings that are responsible for the, the vast majority of the spread. And that's and we see it when the Thanksgiving numbers skyrocketed like that. We, we know that's clearly what it is. It's not the people who are in restaurants on Thanksgiving. It's people who are in gatherings in their homes on Thanksgiving. So we're restricting businesses, including restaurants, but also other businesses, because we can't find a way to restrict the private parties. 
because we can't find a way to restrict what's happening at home. So we're handcuffing the businesses, even though that's really not where the problem is. And Doug, how do you feel about that? I could not have said it better, Greg. Thank you so much for making that point. The state's own data, which is being put out weekly by the Department of Public Health, shows that less than 1% of all the cases have any link to restaurants. And the fact is that indoor dining in restaurants is for the most part safe, but what we're dealing with is on top of all the restrictions and the 930 closing and the spacing and the losing half of our seating, now a large part of our clientele believe that it's not safe to go out to restaurants. So we've, we're dealing with a smaller and smaller pool of guests who are willing to come out and dine. And meanwhile, the data shows that it's very safe to come out and dine in restaurants that are observing all the protocols. So as someone who's been to a restaurant during the pandemic, I mean, it's very different than prior to the pandemic. You walk in, in some cases, you're asked to put on some hand sanitizer, you're spaced apart, there's partitions made out of plexiglass. I've noticed some variation in some, uh, some waiters will wear masks and gloves, some will just wear masks. How have you prepared your staffs? For with PPE and to sort of stem the spread in these more controlled environments than, say, being at home? So the, the starting point is we want our staff, we want our team members to feel safe and comfortable at work. And that's why in the very beginning, when we were only doing outdoor dining, um, there was not as much information as there is now about how the, how the virus can spread. We had everybody wearing latex gloves and face shields and, and masks. And now my, my staff have come to me and said, we don't believe that people are getting the virus from surfaces. All of the data we read is that it's from airborne particles. Can we stop doing the gloves all the time? Can we stop doing the face masks all the time? We just want to wear the masks and we feel safe. And we have transitioned a little bit. When we're clearing tables, we're still using latex gloves. But um, the biggest priority for me is keeping our people safe, both our guests and our team members. You know, Sarah, Doug brings up a really good point and that these rules and the guidelines for uh, restaurants and for so many other businesses were written back in April and May when we didn't know nearly as much about this disease as we do now. We now know that airborne is the problem. So why is it that we're you know, spending so much money and so much time on deep cleaning and a lot of other measures that are not addressing the problem and said we should be focused on air quality and purification systems and things like that. It really is, I think, just a, a, a huge burden on top of everything else that our businesses are being subjected to, to require them to do things that the science says doesn't bear out. And so just to get a sense of this, do you think that the governor and the Department of Public Health need to readjust their reopening guidance for restaurants to sort of reflect this new research? What are your thoughts on, on what the state should do? Yes. In fact, the governor is, is offering somewhat of conflicting information because he is agreeing that restaurants and indoor dining are not causing the increase in the cases. But at the same time, he and some mayors are adding more restrictions on our operations. The 930 closing 
For suburban restaurants, a 9.30 closing is not really a big deal. Most suburban restaurants are winding down and they're done by 10 p.m. All of my businesses are in the city. I have clientele who are working late. They're exercising. They're out running. They don't even look for a place to go to dinner until nine o'clock at night. Many of my clientele, we used to have regular customers who would come in at 10 o'clock every night and have dinner. Some of my businesses serve food, a full menu until 2 a.m. under normal conditions. But now we were hobbling along and sort of getting by and breaking even previously. But now with the 9.30 p.m. closing, it's been even more difficult. So I would like to see the governor loosen up on the 9.30 closing time and, again, reinforce the fact that the increase in cases are not coming from indoor dining restaurants. Yeah, you know, Sarah, there, there's that statistic that the Mass Restaurant Association put out back through August. Um, ABCC did uh, 11,000 inspections of restaurants, found 97% of them in compliance. Restaurants are doing what they're being told what to do. You know, they are following the rules, they are following the guidelines, but the guidelines really are onerous for these restaurants and, and not, again, based on the science. And for listeners, can you just explain what ABCC is? So that's the uh, alcohol, the State Alcohol Beverage Commission that regulates um, all of our license establishments, at least the ones with liquor licenses. And do you think that like during the pandemic, they've sort of ramped up their inspections um, just to make they it- absolutely did. And, they, and okay. that, that was intentional. They were, they were going to go out there and inspect. That was part of the whole program. And there is no other category of business that gets is subject to that kind of inspection. So I wanted to get a sense of there's this group of people who've just been home during this whole thing. And I want to give a sense to them what it's like to go to one of your restaurants, Doug. I, like maybe you could just pick one of them and sort of explain, all right, what happens in the morning setting up? I'm sure your operations are a little bit different to sort of keep everything clean and safe during the pandemic. Can you sort of walk me through, you know? Of course. So in all my locations, the cleaning and the disinfecting is an ongoing uh, practice that is constantly happening. When one customer gets up, the table is cleared, every surface is sanitized, and we get ready for the next guest. And apart from the tables being spaced, I mean, our operations have changed, but it's not an entirely different experience. We don't give menus out to anyone anymore. We have QR codes on, this, on the tables, which is what almost everyone is doing. And I'm not sure we're ever gonna print menus again for that matter. But um, the, the having to put the mask back on is a little bit of a change and customers are adapting and we're adapting. But restaurants were always conscious of sanitizing and disinfecting and cleanliness. And again, if you look at the state statistics, we take a backseat to no other industry for the number of people who come through our doors and safely eat and drink and go home and don't get sick. So it seems like, I mean, the gloves, the masks, the deep cleaning, this all has a pretty significant cost on restaurants. Are, is there any state assistance that a restaurant can apply to to help pay for all of this since it's a requirement? I'm very glad you brought that up because there is not any benefit or any support coming from the state for restaurants. There have been some grant programs from the city of Boston, but that's very unique to my businesses. And I'm, I don't know if anybody in the Metro West where Greg operates has any benefit like that. And they have given grants that can be used to spend on PPE, 
sanitizing products, plexiglass, things like that. But there is no industry that has been asked to adapt and make people safe and spend money for these improvements than the restaurant business. And we have gotten no specific help from the state of Massachusetts, not a penny so far. Have you taken advantage of any of those city programs? I have, and I've managed to get some grants from the city of Boston. And I also got PPP money from the federal government, but there are some large gaps in what are things that are not being covered, insurance, supplies, we built outdoor patios and things. You cannot spend PPP money for those things. So we need some help from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Thousands and thousands of restaurants are hanging by a thread. And I don't think people really have an understanding of how much PPP costs. Like, is it a few hundred dollars over a few months? Is it thousands? Like, can you try to put a price tag on, on what you spend? Um, I can tell you for, for one of my locations, it was around uh, $900 the last time I looked at it. And that was for about a two month period okay. for gloves and sanitizing products and masks. And Greg, what about you? Well, Sarah, so if we could just go back for a minute to the, the, the assistance question, you know, so the, the Paycheck Protection Program came out in the spring and that provided a great relief uh, for a lot of restaurants and other small businesses. But there, and there have been some small grants here and there along the way, but nothing since then. Now, hopefully the Congress is actually meeting this weekend and will provide another round of the PPP, which will make a big difference. But you know, one of the problems with the PPP when it came out was uh, it was restricted towards a lot of it you had to use for your salary. So you were required to, you were paying your employees even though your business was under lockdown, uh, which made it really difficult for the restaurateurs. It was good that people got paid, but it didn't really help the restaurateurs get back on their feet. Uh, that money is overwhelmingly spent by everybody who's received it. Uh, they've been really looking for that. Now there's been a couple of um, state proposals, uh, in particular this, um, the restaurant bill that was passed by the house uh, in June, I believe, uh, that would provide relief. Some of it was uh, dependent on uh, uh, approval of a gambling uh, bill, uh, online gambling, uh, which, and it's been stuck in committee. Uh, and the problem with everything that's stuck in committee is that, you know, we're leaving these men and women stranded out here without relief. It's really unconscionable that the Senate and and the House can't get together and, and figure out whether they're going to provide support for this program or support for um, the program that would curb or, or limit the amount that we're paying for Uber Eats and you know, the online apps. Uh, really, there's a number of things out there that have just been stalled on the state level and particularly on the, on the federal level that would make a huge difference. And so just for listeners, I want to explain that the PPP is the Paycheck Protection Program. It got increased spending under the coronavirus package back in March and a couple boosts after that. And I believe the guidelines and restrictions changed from 80% going to payroll to 60% at some point. Is that still accurate? It was 75% originally, and it changed to 60%. And But that money, for anybody who took it, that money is all gone. It's already been spent. I, I If I could, I'd love to make a point, Sarah, that Restaurants in every city and town and community all over Massachusetts 
are a special type of business and the loss of any small business is important, but restaurants are part of the social fabric. It's where people go with their friends and their family and where they see their neighbors. And we have to do something at the state level to save these small businesses. There are so many family owned businesses that are at risk. If we lose all these restaurants, every main street neighborhood in the city of Massachusetts is gonna be suffering because of the loss of restaurants. There's nothing more important. And just talking about like those shutdowns and closures, I mean, it seems like right now, restaurants have been slowly like cutting back. At the beginning it was, okay, how is this gonna impact next month's rent? But I'm assuming just from hearing your numbers of employees back at the beginning of the pandemic to now, you've had to deal with a significant amount of layoffs. Like how has this impacted your employees? And I mean, how can you even pay them when all of this is going on? It's very difficult. I have businesses that are losing money on a weekly basis and I've kept them open because I'm trying to keep my people employed and engaged. And I'm hoping we're gonna get another round of support from the federal government. So to answer your question, I'm spending my own personal resources and my own savings to try and keep my businesses open. And for my own selfish reasons, it's very hard to reopen a restaurant after it's been closed for months. All of the employees go find other jobs and they do other things. So it helps me to try and keep them open. It will, and also keep engaged with our customers, but it's extremely difficult. And Greg, it looked like you had something to say, but I was gonna ask you, the PPP funding and these coronavirus packages, we've been hearing since July that this is gonna happen. Do you have any intel on where this stands now on, on funding for small businesses? So, so we're recording this on a Friday and we understand that Congress will approve something uh, before the weekend is out. Uh, we understand that there is money in there for the PPP program. Uh, restaurants uh, nationwide have been, been pushing for another fund, a restaurant relief plan uh, that is, does not seem to be in that congressional package, uh, but would have provided specific uh, money to meet some of the specific needs that Doug's talking about that you really can't use the PPP for, uh, but we don't think that's going to be in there. So what are the benefits of this package then? Well, I mean, the, anything that's a relief that provides, helps restaurateurs keep their staff in place, pay their rent, uh, cover their overhead uh, matters. I mean, we're really, we're, we're now in this race where we're trying to get restaurants to get through the winter and the spring uh, until there's a vaccine that can start to return things to normal. So it's really, you know, we're in this dire time. And I think a lot of people are going to make really tough decisions after the holidays, but whether they can make it or not. Uh, so knowing now that there's relief to get you to the spring, get you to the summer when there's going to be some, some hope for a, a return to a more normal life is really what's critical now. Can we save restaurants? It's all going to be in the next few months. So will this create an infusion of money to the PPP program, for instance? So the, yeah, so the federal money would create money for the PPP program. And of course, if there's a stimulus checks that go to everybody, that's going to trickle down and help restaurants as well and all every other business in terms of that spending. So Greg is, is very well informed and I believe that he's correct. And I agree with him. There is likely to be another round of PPP funding, which small businesses will take advantage of, including restaurants. And that will help. And he's 100% right that everybody right now is just trying to survive and get through the winter so that 
we can start reopening our outdoor patios in April and hopefully by the summertime, maybe start re relaxing some of the restrictions and by next fall, be back to somewhat normal operations. But the winter, it's going to be a brutal winter for many businesses without some help. And we need a state program to help these small businesses. And Sarah, if I could make a point about the, the kind of reception of restaurants in general, and, and there was a Globe editorial calling to shut down all indoor dining a couple of weeks back. I think we think of restaurants, or a lot of people think of restaurants as these rambunctious places where people get together and it's loud and noisy and, and exciting. And those kind of places, of course, do exist. But the overwhelming number of restaurants are just a place where people go to get breakfast or lunch or have a, have a meal. In a lot of cases, and especially when we're thinking about the winter, you know, there are people who are spending their entire day alone, you know, and the restaurant is their one chance to just get out for an hour or two, uh, say hello to somebody, socially distance, interact with a waiter or waitress for a few minutes. That is their only respite from in, in these really dark summer, winter months. And if we take that away from those single people, those shut-ins otherwise, we're really taking away something that's really valuable to them. Okay. And Doug, I wanted to get back to PPP for a second. Do you feel like you would apply for another round of PPP relief? And how much were you able to get in the first round? Was it enough to sort of keep some of your businesses open? So yes, I will apply. And yes, it would be very helpful to get through the winter. Um, so what they are granting is 10 weeks of payroll. And you're allowed to spend that money, 60% of it, on payroll and wages, and 40% of it, assuming it's the same as the last time, on rent and utility expenses. If, to, to be honest with you, I'm counting on it. And I've been hearing about it since the summertime, and I've been planning on it, and it's been extremely difficult. But without it, things are going to be a liter literally a disaster for my businesses. I'm counting on it, and I expect that it is going to happen in the next couple of days. Okay. And to get a sense of, I know you both mentioned outdoor dining at some point. Boston no longer has outdoor dining available, I think till April 1st, but do you wish that that would be an option right now? Or I mean, would it help at all? I mean, maybe not right not now since me. we just had a foot and a half of snow, but assuming this all melts away and we had the weather we had two weeks ago. So I, I built three outdoor patios on the fly at my restaurants that did not have them previously. One of them did not succeed and I closed it down in September. Uh, two of them were very successful uh, and I used them and it was really a lifesaver in Boston at two of my locations. But the reality is in late October, it was pretty much over. Um, and November, we got very little use out of it. People just don't want to sit outside when it's cold. If I had a patio to use to now, it wouldn't be used until April or maybe March if we got a nice day. Yeah, because we were hearing about these uh, outdoor space heaters, and I've seen them here in Cambridge. But I mean, other than the days last week where it was 40, maybe 50 degrees out, you never really see people out there. Is it a waste of money and a waste of you know resources to even look into these? Well, I don't know, Sarah. I would say that you know, we, we, this is New England and we could have a warm January. And, you know, the, a lot of suburban communities are still allowing outdoor dining. Newton Needham are both zoned for it and allow for it throughout the winter. Uh, and I think that 
those places you may be able to drag out a few tables or, or have a tent in their, in their parking lot, uh, we'll be happy to have that option. It, it, it doesn't seem, I'm not sure I understand why Boston had to take it away instead of leaving that as a decision to the businesses. And so, you know, I know you had talked about this idea of restaurants as a community um, and that just being like a central hub for people to go to in the middle of all of this. How do you think the rhetoric can be changed around um, around what's going on with restaurants and, and this sort of fear of going to one? What I would say is, first of all, when we were closed for three months, when we reopened at the end of June, many of my customers were thanking me because for three months, they would walk through the neighborhood and have no place to settle in. They were either home or they were shopping in a retail store and that's it. They wanted a place to go where they could sit and have somewhat of a social connection with their friends and family. So as far as changing the way people think, the narrative from the state should be, if you're not safe going out, don't go out, stay home. If you have a compromised immune system or other health challenges, don't go out to restaurants. But for people who are otherwise safe and able to abide all the safe protocols, patronize your local restaurant, because if you don't patronize them now, they may not survive. Greg? Yeah, I, I agree. I, we, we, there needs to be uh, more conversation about the science and the data here. And again, the science and the data show that restaurants have not been a primary source of spread. I think there needs to be a lot more to, uh, discussion to promote and encourage uh, takeout. Uh, and also, I think in particular, we ought, the legislature really ought to pass a a restriction on the online apps that charge huge service fees that can really cut into a restaurant's uh, bottom line. But you know, dining out, uh, takeout, curbside pickup are all really important tools right now to help restaurants get through those next few months for those customers who are reluctant to go inside. Uh, the restaurant will bring it to your car. If you don't feel you wanna go inside to get your takeout order, they will carry it to you. Uh, there needs to be more of that positive encouragement. And again, you know, the problem has not been restaurants. The problem is the private parties. You close restaurants, you close an avenue, you, you open up another opportunity where I can't go to a restaurant with my friends, I'm gonna have to have a private party. That's riskier. So I think I can squeeze in a couple questions in the next five minutes before we have to wrap this up. But I know the reopening task force back in the summer was talking about all of these different regulations and restrictions and what happens when a restaurant violates them. Have you heard, or what are your thoughts on restaurants violating these, the penalties, um, and have you personally like dealt with any of this um, in your own restaurants or heard of anyone else? I have had no violations or we've had multiple inspections in all of my locations. We, have, we abide by the protocols and we do what we're supposed to do, so we have no violations. I am aware that a couple of restaurants have been closed down uh, one of them for nine days and others have been closed as well for not adhering to all the proper protocols. So I'm in favor of enforcement. I want people to feel safe. Okay. Yeah. Again, that um, the data shows that restaurants are, are doing overwhelmingly, not everybody, but overwhelmingly doing what they're supposed to do. 11,000 inspections through August and only 97% compliance. Uh, that's pretty remarkable. There is no other sector of our economy, I bet, that can, can, can claim that kind of compliance right now. 
And in closing, I just want to ask you, if you could get in a room with Governor Baker and Lieutenant Governor Polito, what would you ask them to do um, moving forward into the new year in regards to restaurant policies? I would ask him to remove the 930 closing time. And if you want to make sure restaurants are safe, increase the enforcement to make sure everyone is following the rules and talk to the public about the statistics that prove that indoor dining is not causing the problem with the increases in COVID cases. You know, Sarah, the one thing I would say that, you know, since March, I've become a regular viewer of the governor's press conferences and, and almost every week he says the same thing, which is that it's about the community spread. It's about this, it's not about our businesses. And every day the reporter's hands shoot up and say, well, when are you gonna close the restaurants? I, I think in general, although we could certainly say there, the, the idea Doug had may make sense, there may be some things around the edges to do, but in general, it's this overall perception. It's as much as I think the media needs to think about um, covering this properly, because the governor has been really careful and generally thoughtful about not closing down the economy further. I think he's resisted a lot of momentum and a lot of calls to do that. Uh, I think in general, we just need to do a better job talking about the science and the reality of this. All right. Well, I want to thank you both for joining the podcast. Everyone, we just had um, Doug Bacon, president of, of the Red Paint Hospitality Group, and Greg Reedman from the Newton Needham Chamber. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Thank Sarah. Thank you, Sarah.